Hello, and welcome to the Told You So podcast. I'm Brink. And I'm Carla. And today we're going to be doing a briefly truncated episode. Uh, Fast and Furious. Yeah, a little half hour quick hit here. Um, and we're just going to talk uh, a little bit about different types of moral culture. Um, and this is an idea that has been interesting to me because I've been thinking a lot more about how uh, culture and sort of the uh, social underpinnings of the ways people see the world influences everything from politics to crime to, you know, all sorts of different things. Um, and it seems like culture is a thing that's really hard to pin down. Um, and frequently when, when people talk about it, it seems like it's kind of a dodge to uh, appeal to a, a vague something that they want to give causal power to. Well, and because culture in its very essence is like, it's like that's a really big group of people that you're trying to say are all the same, right? Right. Right. No, it's generalizing. But at the same time, like cultures are real. There, there's a there's a reality to, uh, you know, especially in times and places when there was less transit of ideas and people um, to an, like a national identity or a regional identity. Like there are there are realities to that. There's people in Pittsburgh that say yins and there's nobody else says that. <laughs> Pop <laughs> um, and soda. And <laughs> right. And that's just linguistic culture. Right? That's not even the, the family structure stuff or the values stuff. Um but anyway, so uh, I was uh, reading this article. It's by Kevin McCaffrey, um, and it's sort of a, a synopsis of a study by sociologists Bradley Campbell and Jason Manning. Uh, and it's basically a theoretical analysis of, of what they say are the three dominant types of culture uh, that emerge in the world. And these are these are not so much culture in terms of like the music that people listen to, et cetera, but um, it's about uh, moral culture and the values that people bring to moral questions uh, in those cultures. So the first culture uh, is sort of the most popular and frequent one, the one that has existed the most in uh, the world at the most times because usually things are in flux, um, and that is honor culture. And honor culture emerges when a centralized state authority is not present or not legitimate and when people are extremely materially vulnerable. Under these conditions, people will take offense very easily, grow quickly fearful, and engage in higher rates of defensive preemptive aggression as well as vigilante justice in order to settle their disputes. In the worst case scenario, this preemptive aggression can develop into bloody feuds enveloping whole families, gangs, or lineages. Physical bravery, deferential respect to the powerful, and an unwillingness to appear weak and vulnerable consequently become paramount values. And as a big guy, I'm pretty sure you probably <laughs> like that one. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I I might personally benefit from it, but I don't know if I'd like it per se. I think that it uh, it puts some bad incentives out there. So, so on our culture in a nutshell, it's pretty much I can bitch slap you with my glove if things go down, right? Right, exactly. Well, and, and then and, we're and gonna it, duel and we're gonna duke it out. Right. And at its ba- and at its basis, it's when there's no legitimate higher authority to appeal to. Um, so this would be uh, equally as true in like the wild west in an unincorporated town where there's no sheriff and there's, you know, just thirty dudes and they're hashing it out. Um, or in a city where police aren't trustworthy or somewhere, you know, where, uh, people don't trust the courts. For example, I know in, um, like one of the most famous sets of honor cultures is in Eastern Europe, I think in Romania and Mm -hmm. Albania, uh, they still have, I forget the name of it, but it's a set of laws that's like the blood law and it's basically honor culture solidified and it's like a, a shadow set of laws that governs society, 
uh, in terms of retaliation for violence and uh, how to do multi-generational feuds and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the defining factor is that you're responsible for everything, Uh Either you or like the strong man that is your friend. You know what I mean? Like, I'm glad you're my neighbor. <laughs> strong man. <laughs> and one of the interesting things, that, you know, in thinking about this, um, I do think that a lot of libertarians, or at least people that have, uh, you know, if, if you want to make like a straw man caricature of libertarians, uh, they might say that they prefer honor culture to the other options that we're going to talk about, um, which are. To give it away, dignity culture and uh, victim, victim culture. culture. And I hate that last uh, one. Well, Just yeah. even the way the phraseology, like victim culture, who wants to be part of that? Yeah, or I mean, there's probably other names that you could give to it too, where it's like uh, like weakness as power culture or. Nietzsche would be upset. <laughs> um, but we should probably forewarn all our listeners. I'm pretty sure I'm going to offend everyone on this show. So just be forewarned because I read that article and I was shocked. I was like, wow, apparently yeah. everything I think, do, or say is offensive to someone. So apologies in advance. Well, so anyway, but with the with the honor cultures, I know that like a lot of the fiction that I enjoy, um, you know, where it's tales of like adventurers and stuff like that, they basically exist in lawless honor culture. And really like medieval stories, you know, no people aren't usually like going to court for disputes uh, in fantasy. You're, you're going to take care of business yourself. Um, and in a way, like the, the heroic narrative demands an honor culture. And that's like actually really any movie where it's like, like a, a vigilante film, like Walking Tall or... Um, you know, any of those where somebody gets payback or I just watched uh, Coffee, which is a really ridiculous <laughs> movie. <laughs> oh, it's like a Pam Greer, uh, uh, exploitation, really strange film about like her younger sister gets hooked on smack. And so she just murders her way through. Oh, wow. ther- she therapizes herself <laughs> with murder and uh, like kills the dude that sold it to him, goes all the way up the chain. It's ridiculous. But no, but any of those vigilante well, stories. It's, it's, it's sort of our prohibition narrative, right? Where yeah. it's like, oh, we got to kill you in order to make sure you don't kill yourself. Right. Well, and actually, uh, the, this is the other thing I was thinking. Any any, any prohibition culture is, is an honor culture. It has to be um, because you're, you can't use uh, – courts you can't you know have a legitimate resolution of your disputes um yeah so 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 any black market kind of situation the mafia for example would be an honor culture or you know like the the uh what was the japanese organized crime uh the yakuza or the triads or whatever right Uh, Um, But then also they do have a moral code and there are rules. So it's not like lawless or whatever. It's just, you know, these are our rules and we are we are going to solve it through this honor system, not through the courts. But also that system is highly flexible and. You know, yeah, it you, depends you on get who to be the judge and jury. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, um, so anyway, so that was sort of the state of things until uh, the modern state came into being, and with uh, the Enlightenment and the ideas that came with that, the concept of uh, you know universal human dignity and sort of the the universal brotherhood of man, we're all uh, on the same page as human beings, and we're all you know equally under the law. Um, that's where dignity culture started to pop up. 
Um, people in this, and I'm, I'm quoting from this article, uh, people in this more modern form of society may resort to legal authority when disputes and wrongdoings are sufficiently severe. But otherwise, they will make efforts to privately resolve disputes in a nonviolent manner. In such a society, all citizens are assumed to have a sense of dignity and self-restraint, and everyone is expected to, at least at first, give the benefit of the doubt to the disputant to see if a conflict can be resolved peacefully. Uh, however, Campbell and Manning, the people that wrote this study, uh, contend that when state authority begins to exert monopolizing control over a population of increasingly diverse, legally equal people, a victim culture may emerge. Say it isn't so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and, and just to spend a minute on it, I mean, I think that uh, to me, dignity culture is sort of like the sensible one for modern human beings where you realize that uh, there has been, you know, there's there's a state – they're the legitimate monopoly uh, users of force. You go to the impartial courts to resolve disputes. You don't punch it out. And it's just fair because then, you know, the big person doesn't win every time you have a punching match. Right. And, and, <laughs> you know, and, and hypothetically, that sounds like a really good system, right? I think where the problem starts to come in was with the words monopoly right there, right? right? Yeah. So it's like if we have a legal system and a setup where it's, uh, you know, where you have equal opportunity under the law as opposed to equality, right? right. So we write the law so that we can all go and by our by the law making us equal that's what gives us dignity right but then when you start right we're to all the same we like, all yeah. oh but we're not all the same right. because we're going to create all these special classes of people then you start to merge into what brink is right so next. and then the third type is the victim culture and it's funny cuz i it's it's old and new so uh, victim cultures uh, share in common with honor cultures the sensitivity to slights or insults but whereas those in an honor culture might try to retaliate physically or otherwise, people in a victim culture will instead appeal to the powerful. Um, oh, excuse me. It's appeal to a powerful, omnipresent state slash legal authority. Classic examples are Mao's China and Stalin's Russia. In contrast to honor cultures that expect victims to be strong and stern enough to defend themselves, and dignity cultures that expect victims to be calm and charitable when in a dispute or disagreement, Victim culture emphasizes how complainants are emotionally or physically fragile, vulnerable, and weak. In order to have a high status in a victim culture, one must perfect and dramatize a personal narrative of suffering. Confidently espousing one's own weakness, frailty, and suffering might seem perhaps dishonorable or shameful from an honor culture perspective or gratuitous and self-absorbed from a dignity culture perspective. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, and, and we're, we're Frank is, is laughing of, at the expression on my face. <laughs> yes. I mean, we have to just confess to that. I mean, I'm just sometimes I'm just generally gobsmacked. I forget if it was that article or the other one. I think there was a reason yeah, the article you that, sent yeah. me as well. So I was reading through that and I'm like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then people were talking about the culture, the victim culture, and sort of microaggressions. Right. And, and I think it's partly because I didn't grow up here. So, like, I genuinely, like, sometimes I just don't. I mean, I guess I often know but just don't care what yeah. like the PC thing is to do because I just <laughs> I'm like I, I just don't care but one of the things that shocked me and we'll, we'll link to this in the show notes in the reason article was it said that if you say America is the land of opportunity is a microaggression yeah. and I laughed so loud that my husband came into my office and he's like what are you laughing at and I was like 
I don't know. I had no idea. I mean, I say things like America's a land right. of opportunity all the time. Right. I no, didn't know yeah. I was like offending the entire <laughs> half of America. <laughs> well, there's like worksheets and stuff like that. There actually used to be they, they did some reforms at UNH, but there was a there was a whole big sheet of stuff like that where it's things like um, asking somebody, uh, where are you from? Is like highly, you know, that's a microaggression. Um Telling but someone, isn't life a microaggression? Like, isn't like life is like a series just, of aggressions? Yeah, like I just well, kind of feel like, come the. Well, this one, I was actually I so I I just listened to this uh, talk that was kind of about this that was really interesting, and it was that the concept. I mean, like it's it's actually a very useful concept in terms of there are these things that if you are a you know a minority of whatever sort. And you live in a world where people, everyone's curious and people, you know, even by and large, people's intentions are good or whatever. And you keep getting asked these, you know, similar questions over and over again. It, it would get really annoying, like especially if you're like a, you know, an Asian person from Des Moines, Iowa, and people are, oh, well, where where are you from in like some you know, expecting well, like you to my say husband, some Asian who's, country. who's a, 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 you know, I'm sure everyone would call him some kind of patriarchal something, right? He's yes. a white dude from South Africa. He's a tech nerd software guy. And I'm like, but he has a pretty thick South African accent, unlike me, right? Because yeah. he grew up more Afrikaans and I grew up all over the world. And so, like, when we immigrated, people would ask us all the time where we came from. It never occurred yeah. to me to be offended. Isn't it great when someone's interested in who you are or who you're about? Or, you know, I mean, I doubt that I, many I, times I, people, unless it's Ice Ice Baby, and they're asking <laughs> you, who, you know, hey, where are you from, brown-skinned person right. that we're about to put? in a concentration camp and you know take take your kids away and like do all the awful stuff but right. you know we're the government and we're here to help <laughs> other than those people why wouldn't like if someone asked you where you're from i see that as a compliment or as someone genuinely being interested in who yeah, you are yeah i mean uh, and i i think that that's a a valid read uh but if you grow up in the culture where you know especially in like an academic culture like where this stuff gets concentrated obviously is college campuses where people are I mean it's coddled not, well, and, to and it's death like, where in, all in, these children are just I mean I think it's right. child abuse at well, this stage in, in like telling everyone where, you're weak and lame and <laughs> right. no one can help you and oh my god you're such a victim is a terrible well, way to organize society to be society. clear it's not it's it's not like everyone at every college obviously and uh it was actually interesting. One of the, I heard it described as, and I hope speaking of offending people, here here goes. Uh, one of the in one of these talks I was listening to, I think it was Jonathan Hype, but he was like, "We're really talking about you know three hundred colleges, which are the only ones that have any actual admission standards, which are <laughs> like, <laughs> oh wow, which are which are the ones that people talk about and notice, and it's like." This stuff is happening on like elite, you know, New England campuses and like Oberlin and, you know, the ones that are already deep hotbeds of progressive thought. It's not happening at like University of Iowa. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, man, how do we even get all the way over to here? To well, I, with regard to like sort of that whole concept of victimhood. Yeah, okay, well, so we're I'm, looking I'm at these culture. different cultures. Well, that's what. Well, all right, so I, I want to take it out of just the college context because I think that the the thing that happens like with discussing this stuff already, if you were an outside observer and you just listened to this conversation, it might be like, oh, well, somebody just invented this so they could make fun of college kids. And the victim culture thing, it's its not about college students. Like the examples that he gave are, are the better ones. And it's really that they emerge in like 
totalitarian cultures um, where you can't stand up against the power uh, and you're told that you are weak and nothing compared to the power. Well, don't you and think? And that's, that's what like the little like the, you know, Maoist, uh, you know, the Red Scouts or whatever the hell they were called, the little kids where it was like, turn your parents in, turn your parents in. Like we're like every it's the omnipotent state and everything else is weak and useless. But don't you think maybe one could make the argument and I'm just thinking about this now, but, you know, with all this criticism sort of, let's say, on the patriarchy, right, Mm -hmm. that we hear a lot of, right? And then I look at a lot of my friends who are like, I'm a good dude. I'm going to see you're a good dude, right? And if I was constantly being bombarded with this message of I'm an awful person and, you know, if you're, you know, if you're making your way in life and you're providing for people and, you know, doing like kind of the right things by the recipe book, somehow you're like a douchebag that should be marginalized, which is kind of the message out there. Then the question becomes, when is the tipping point when the, what you might have called the original honor culture people. Right are also going to start, and I think we're starting to see this, start to embrace the victim culture thing, right? So I have a very concrete example. I was at a meeting the other day, and there was a lovely lady who came from, I think it was the New Hampshire Commission on Human Rights. And Mm -hmm. it was actually a job I applied for. I thought I could do some good there. I had no idea. The department was huge. There were like 10 people in it. They have like 300 claims, whatever. (laughs) And when she was doing her talk, she just sort of in passing said the words, well, everyone has the right not to be offended. I don't think that's true. And I was like, what? what?" (laughs) And I was just, I mean, I was just listening. But then someone in the room put up their hand, and they were like, could you explain to me where the right not to be offended comes from, yeah. right? Which seems like a legitimate question. If we're going to say we have this cultural or societal rule, then we should probably, right. you know, from? agree. Like, that's kind of why we have the Constitution. So we could say these are the rules. And if, you know what, if you want to take our guns, then let's get rid of the Second Amendment, right? Yeah. Separate conversation. And instead of sort of exploring that idea of, you know, everyone has the right not to be offended, mm-hmm. she got offended by the question. <laughs> and it was just one of those aha moments for me where I was like, wow, okay, this is where we're at, right? Because well, the person what, uh, who asked it well, didn't mean to be offensive. They were literally like, can you help me understand? Yeah. Well, and that's what, so one of the ideas, uh, so uh, with a lot of this stuff too, it's kind of a, a, a framing for it that I think is useful is that it's... It's a religious type thinking in that you have like sacralized groups that you can't blaspheme against. And it's really similar to like, uh, you know, again, in a, in a rather oppressive society and like the Catholic Church dominated uh, Middle Ages when you, you know, if you blasphemed and you said the wrong thing about the Pope you would be literally set on fire, <laughs> you know, not just not figuratively. Um and that's like it's an expression of the same set of impulses in that uh, they like these values are it's more than rationally determined values that they hold there. There's like a sacredness to them. There's an element of it where uh, and this isn't like to belittle it either. It's just I'm trying to describe the feeling. And I think that it's the same but thing. But what is the sacredness in a victim culture? Like I'm just like I, I, well, I don't the, really get it because the, I'm these... like why would you aspire – to be weak. No, Wouldn't we want to create a society been, where we aspire yeah, to there, like, there, grow? There are groups of people that have been so beaten down and oppressed and 
marginalized by our culture and our society. But isn't history that we need to like set them into these little boxes where they can just be themselves without all of our bullshit. I mean, I think but that's here's like the, the thing. Isn't history just a series of liberating more and more people and types of people and acceptance of ideas? So, you no. know, like 500 years ago, <laughs> no. No, it's not a line. It's... It's random. I, I mean, it's it's a line. But I think times, from a legal perspective, break. you could argue that it is kind of a line, right? So that yeah, maybe like five hundred like, years ago, X amount of people had X amount of rights, yes. right? And so those rights have actually become broader and wider. And in my lifetime, we've seen everything from you know the emergence of gay rights, yay, woman rights, yay, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in South Africa, like apartheid, black rights, yeah. yay, like all of that, right? And so like we're we're trending towards the right model well, I mean, of allowing more and more people more and more freedoms. Yeah. So why the F is everyone complaining? Because it's not fast enough and nobody knows history. And that's what the, what I was trying to say is that that's really only true since like the 1700s. You know, it like, per, uh, yeah, but you know history, what? We haven't been writing that long either, and we didn't, know. you know, stop well, swinging from trees that been, long ago either. Eh, we, were, we were writing stuff like, like 1500 years ago, and you know, there's stuff out there, yeah. And those were there's... like a bunch of dudes in, you know, <laughs> places writing words on paper and saying, don't insult people in pointy hats. Well, right, no, I'm, that's what I'm saying is that like the history of humanity really until again, the, the enlightenment ideal of this, like. It's it's a transracial universal brotherhood of humanity. The, we're all human beings. We're all you know. Uh, we all have these inborn rights that are inviolable by government. Uh, other people can violate them, but you have an appeal for that. Like that. Like all those ideas of we're equal under a fair system. But the system uh, they, isn't really fair new. anymore no, once you start to create classes of victims. This is, no, but this is, this is, and the liberals say this, the people that have those ideas say that the system isn't fair because of the uh, exploitative nature of it and because of the historical injustices due to these people. So it's like they're, they're reason. No, I, and I'm not saying again. I'm just trying to like you. Uh, you should always like try to fully understand the ideas that you were contending with, <laughs> but like. And I think that they have they have a certain point, and it's like a it's a critique, but it's not a prescription for what to do. It's just a critique, and it's just a knife. You know, it's only good for tearing down and and cutting. It's not good for building. Well, here's but, a, but, like, but it's also if you know that's fine, and and I agree. You know, and I'm very sympathetic to all of these things. Don't get me wrong. You know, I sound like a hard ass, but you know, I mean, I do come from the progressive left. I do get it, but I'm just like. We're not going to fix the problems by leaning into the the negatives of right. it, right? Be- become like hyper aware, aspirational, as opposed to yeah. oh, like I'm so sad because everything in my life has you know made life harder. I mean, yeah. I could argue I'm an African American immigrant, right? Female immigrant, it's true. right? I am all of those things. Now, but someone's going to find that offensive, and the person who does, please make a comment because I'm going to be like, "You're racist." With your white supremacist word games. Well, <laughs> well, actually, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but I read an article maybe like 
Oh, it's probably 10 years ago now where some kid actually who was a white South African who applied for a college uh, scholarship and said he was African-American. And then when they found out he was white, took his scholarship away and kicked him out of the school. And I was like, wow, isn't that some sort of something? Yeah, that's bizarre. Like if I was going to lean into victimhood stuff, that might be where I would start. (laughs) I feel like he was obeying the letter and not the spirit of the law. But it's – no, but I see what you're saying. 100%. He is an African if he's uh, if he moved from Africa to America. He's an African American. I mean, I was born in Africa. I partly identify as African. Like, like there's definitely I got better rhythm than an average white That's girl. That's why now there's a better now they use the that term. was probably racist too. I'm <laughs> sorry, everyone. Well, no, I think that's why but, they use the term people of color now, which is kind of sorry. This is going to be offensive, but I I think that it's funny and weird that people of color is the like sensitive, thoughtful way to say that, but the like great grandpa colored people is totally offensive. I I know. I don't don't understand. understand. (laughs) I don't understand all of this. And maybe that's where the frustration for so many, like just average. I do understand it. I understand it because it's like, it's contextualized by people use that term in a negative way in a time when it was, and people of color is a new term that is free of this, but it's all the same words. (laughs) Anyway. Um, I mean, isn't it in the end, like, to me, it's about, like, the individual. And, I mean, we know because, yes. you know, we're individualists and everything, right? So so it's one of those things, like, when someone's like, oh, you're racist because you said this or whatever. I mean, like I said at the start, I'm sure I'm a, I offend everyone all the time without meaning to. But it's like... You know, it's it's we're at the stage with our discourse where it's mm. like everyone's just throwing these terms around. Like, how many times today have we sort of either um, qualified like, "Ooh, this is going to sound so and so," because yeah. it's like, "Oh, I don't really want to offend anyone." Well, you right? have to couch it, and it's like, but genuinely, like, if you're dealing with people who are openly saying to you, "I'm trying not to offend you," then isn't there some kind of like moral cultural imperative on the recipient of that message to also be like? I get it. You know, like, I know grandpa type of guys, right, who right. genuinely don't really mean to be – like, I didn't know the land of opportunity was offensive. Right. So throw me in the grandpa <laughs> category, right? Um, these people aren't trying to – you know, like, right. it's fine to be like, I'm a victim of something. But then when you're on that personal level and then you're, like, judging this person well, who is right. genuinely not, like, a bad person. And this, that's the messed up part of it is that, like, people are taught that – other people's intentions don't matter because even if you are like the, what, what would be, I mean, the most like uh, ideologically correct way to respond to that would be even if somebody has good intentions and they use racist terminology as defined are, by someone yes, randomly right, right. because they right, somehow right, right. have bigger so power on even, words on. than the rest so of us. Even if somebody, even if somebody has good intentions and they use racist terminology, it's furthering the white supremacist culture, whether they want to or not. So it's bad all the same. And that would be, I think that would be the argument. Could everyone hear my (laughs) eye roll? Because I think it was like going to start, you know, just actually doing its own thing in the back of my brain, brain. (laughs) (laughs) But no, but so like, yeah, teaching people intentions doesn't matter is a really bad thing to do because it means you can never forgive anyone because it's like the world is good and bad then. Well, it's that, but it's also like even our legal framework over time has said intentions matter. Right. That's why there's manslaughter versus 
versus premeditated right. murder. Right. You yeah. know, like you might slip on some black ice yeah. with your car and then hit some poor pedestrian. You didn't mean to mow down and kill that person. Right. If you're in Charlottesville and there's a group of people and you put some gas on that, you know, yeah. then you did. So intentions, of course, matter. Well, and I think the interesting part with all this, too, is that with the, and you know, you just like, mentioned individuality. And the thing is, uh, I think that. Out of all of them, it seems like honor culture is the most friendly to individuality. Like it seems like it on the face because you're the most able to defend your own decisions because you're the ultimate arbiter of right and wrong in a lot of ways. But for for the most people, I think that the dignity culture concept offers the best chance to express individualism because just what you're saying, the idea of it, the, the basis of it is to be charitable in your interactions with other people, assume that they're trying to do good until they show you that you're they're not. You know, um, and it's actually that's like a game theory concept that's classic as, as like a strategy to approach games. It's called tit for tat, which is that you approach all players. Or if good... you're a girl, tit for tit. <laughs> <laughs> Different game. But uh, no, but like if you uh, you approach all players as though they have good intentions, you deal with them in good faith. And then if they deal with you in bad faith, you punish them. Yeah, I've you... played risk with some jerks in my time. Right, and, if, <laughs> and that's when they when they mess with you, you mess with them right back. Which you, you know, in a nutshell, is America's yeah. foreign policy. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh. But anyway, but so point being the this like that I think that that's a better starting point where it's like be charitable. Um, and then the problem with the victimhood culture is that your individuality in a lot of ways is. Uh, subsumed by some kind of right. group, no, right? Or, group yeah, identity your, your or individu- group individual, right. yeah. Or your individual position is determined by like the nexus of intersectional identities where you sit. So like your experience, it's not Carla's experience. It's a cisgender, uh, white female immigrant experience. It's not African American, right? So the idea is that right. If you if if you pare it down. Enough time, then, like, that's what your experience but really it's also is. With, it's not you. With that sort of group identity, is also, I think, where the tension comes in for someone like me. Like, when you hear terms like the patriarchy mm. or the uh, white privilege or, right. you know, whatever these terms are. And uh, as an aside, I was super surprised when I was in South Africa in December. I thought white privilege was like a very American concept. Like yeah. I didn't really realize it was a global concept. Our academy leads the world and we export ideas. <laughs> but, but you know, like uh, being in South Africa and sort of, you know, there's this whole uh, uh uh, there's a political movement there that sort of sprung out of the one settler, one bullet. So basically, if you're white and you should they, die, you should die. Yeah. Someone should kill you. Uh, you know, which is the danger. This is the Mao's and the Stalins, right. that sort of group identity where you take away the individualism and you say, so this person can hate you if they're in some special category group right. because you're just the white supremacist or right. the, you're the patriarchy or the whatever. You're right. I'm this group and you're that group and your group's being mean to me. And I'm like, right. I'm not part of a group. I'm a person. I'm an individual. Deal with me on that basis. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I mean, as with most things, treating people as individuals is the solution to a lot of these problems is that treat every human being with dignity and respect because they're a human being just like you. And I love that charitable um, world yeah. word you said, you know, like, yeah. can we all just be a little nicer to each other? Like uh, generally when people are going around, you know what, if you're, you know, if someone asks you where you're from, they're probably not actually trying to aggress against right. you. They're probably just genuinely curious about 
about you. Yeah, I mean, and if, if a stranger asks you for money, ask some questions. But generally, <laughs> assume that people are are not trying to screw you over or be mean to you. Like, because think about how often. I mean, unless you're a mean person, you don't go around trying to ruin people's day. Like nobody's doing that unless they're a terrible person. And then they're a terrible person, and you can look down on them for being a terrible person. And, so. and you should look down on a group of people. Like if I had, uh, a, you know, if I uh, a, a asshole gay friend, like I'm not going to be like, oh, I hate all gay people, right. you know. So, but why is the flip side allowed? You know, like yeah. why are we allowed to put the people we don't like into groups and hate on them? And then I don't know. I I just I, I can't get, get behind put, this. If you're victim if stuff. you're in the oppressor category, you're bad, and you oppress no matter what. But who Even gets if, and, to define I mean, who the oppressor category is? It's sort of like that. Children at elite New England colleges. Yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> Screw them. <laughs> anyway, on that note, we should sign off. I have to return a rug cleaner. <laughs> so. He does indeed. So anyway. thank you for joining us for another edition of Told You So. Yeah, thanks so much for spending some time with us. And uh, let us know what you think. And uh, hopefully we will talk to you again soon. Peace out. Bye.